everyone, welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Today my guest is Jeff Nimoy, who is a voice actor, writer, producer, and a voice director, who has worked on the shows Digimon, Zatch Bell, Naruto, Bleach, Trigun, the list goes on and on. So without further ado, let's dive right into this interview. So when were you first introduced to the acting world as both a writer and an actor? The year was 1994. I was in Los Angeles and I was doing a comedy show, an improv comedy show, much in the vein of whose line is it anyway. And I was doing a bit called Celebrity Calls, Celebrity Calls, where I would start a scene and then someone would yell out a celebrity and I would continue the scene as that celebrity. And I would do about 10 impersonations every night in that bit. And one night, a woman who was the producer, her name was Rhonda Smiley, at the time, I'm not sure what her last name is now, but Rhonda was the producer, writer of a show called The Mutant League based on the video game. And she said we were casting for a role in this cartoon for a guy who can play multiple voices. And after seeing me that night she thought i might be great for it so she auditioned me and sure enough i was razor kid his sidekick but his own athlete as well razor kid half man half lizard we were all mutants and i was like a a really brash young athlete in that. Plus, I played a million other voices, just what she wanted. And on that show, I met Doug Stone, who is a very popular voice actor out here in the world of anime. And he introduced me to a lot of people in that world, in anime. And that's how I just got the voice ball rolling. And now, what activities, when you were growing up, really shaped you to become an actor? Well, I was a Saturday morning TV junkie. I was a Monday through Friday junkie as well, but mostly a Saturday morning. I lived for Saturday morning. So I watched pretty much everything, Hanna-Barbera, all that. But the biggest influence would have to be Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny was on every morning before I went to school, every afternoon when I came home from school, and had the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner hour on Saturday morning, and I never missed any of it. And it always amazed me that one guy did all the voices, Mel Blanc. It was just like shocking to me that one guy could do multiple voices and I just pretty much started by impersonating Bugs Bunny and uh, and company. I was just always obsessed with cartoons. And now in your transition over to Mutant League, did you have any formal voice training before you were on that show? Not really. I went to NYU for acting, so I had acting training and I was kicking around Los Angeles as an actor as well from around 88 to 94, but I just could not get arrested until voice work came around. From there, of course, writing and directing sort of led from that and I left the acting door to go through the door of writing and directing and producing and didn't look back for quite a while until fairly recently when I came back to acting. It didn't mean I stopped acting. I just stopped looking for acting work. I was just acting in things I was directing myself. It's much easier to get a job in something you're directing yourself than it is to uh, audition with thousands of others. But I did take some voice classes at NYU, but not for specifically voice acting. And now what was your first voiceover work for anime? First one was... A little thing called Honey Bee Hutch. Those with great memories will remember this. It was around, let's say, late 94, early 95, maybe even. And Honey Bee Hutch was a little anime done by then Saban Entertainment. And I played some sort of like insect as Archie Bunker, if you know who Archie Bunker is. Get off my couch, meathead. You know, things like that out of my chair. So I played that guy. And Dave Mallow was the director of that, who I went on to direct a million times in both Digimon and other projects. 
projects. And Kevin Newsom was the sound engineer who became my sound engineer when I directed Digimon. And I don't know if you know that the relationship between a voice director and the sound engineer, he's practically your right hand. They work so in sync with you and it becomes a very close partnership, like a bartender and a customer or a haircutter and customer. We become each other's psychologists and partners and it's a very close relationship. And now before you worked on Digimon, you worked for NFL Films Presents. What was that like working in that capacity? NFL Films was one of, if not the greatest job of my life. I'm a huge football fan and I'm a huge comedy fan. And I was doing this thing called dubbing years and years ago with my improv show at a place called the LA Connection. There used to be a show on many years before I was born called Fractured Flickers, where they would take old movies and recreate the soundtrack by dubbing in the the mouths of the characters. And then later on, also before I was born, there was a movie by Woody Allen called What's Up Tiger Lily, where he took an old kung fu movie and also took away all the sound and put in a comedy soundtrack. And I thought both of those were hysterically funny when I saw them in reruns. And later on, the LA Connection was doing this on a show called Thick of the Night, hosted by Colin Flick. And I was a little kid. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever saw. And when I got to Los Angeles, I actually auditioned for the LA Connection. And I became one of those guys who used to do those old movies and I played a bunch of voices in them. We did movies like Plan 9 from Outer Space, the classic bad movie by Ed Wood. And really B movies, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, Aztec Mummy versus the Wrestling Women. Ridiculous movies, and we made them even more ridiculous. We used to do that live in a theater here in Los Angeles, and we'd go on the road. We went to San Diego quite a bit, and we would do these performances, and every now and then we'd do it on TV. And one of those guys who was there was named Bob Buckholz, and Bob and I just really meshed together. We wrote well together, and we performed well together, and we did a Sherlock Holmes movie once where he played Sherlock and I played Watson. So he and I went off and we did this NFL film stuff together. I just pitched them the idea. I just took a couple of their clips and took away all the sound and we revoiced them and they loved the idea. We had like a four minute segment at the end of every show for their flagship show called NFL Films Presents. And they would send us a bunch of tapes every week and we would just watch every tape pretty much over and over again until something clicked in our strange imaginations and we'd write a clip to it. We'd write a little funny sketch to it. Our first year doing that, we got nominated and won an Emmy for that, which was kind of wild. It's a wild ride. Our first really job out of the bat at this newly formed company called Spliced Bright Productions, which Bob still runs alone, by the way. I left and we're still good friends. So anyway, after that, I was trying the acting thing a little bit here and there and I got cast in an improv show at Fox Kids to uh, try to do this thing on air all improvisation. It was me, Wayne Brady, Carlos Alizraki, a bunch of other people. And that show did not go, but the producer of that show saw my NFL films on my demo reel. And he said to me, we've got all these Japanese imports here at Fox Kids via Saman Entertainment. And would you like to do what you did for the NFL films to our Japanese cartoons? And we're doing it ourselves, but we're not making them crazy, wacky, funny like you are. And we wouldn't mind a show like that. That show became Chimp Lips Theater, all two classic episodes of And if you blinked, you missed both of them. But anyway, they liked working with us, even though they didn't like the show. And when Digimon came around, they actually offered the show to us very early on, and we turned it down. And then later on, 
we were sitting around going, uh, well, what's our next project? And we didn't really have one. So I called Fox Kid back up and I said, you know, maybe we do want to give Digimon a try. They had already written 13 of them. So 14, we started writing ourselves and we wrote it and they really liked it. And we started writing almost everyone from episode 14 on. And then sometime after that, I came around to guest direct, coincidentally, only because all their directors were on vacation at the same time. And it was a fluke. It was a scheduling mistake on someone's part. And the uh, producer of the show knew me. Like I said, I worked there before as an executive producer. So they called me to direct and they really liked the way I did it. And unfortunately, all my friends got replaced because I was the regular director and Bob and I were writing every episode and we were called what's called showrunner. We ran the show. We were the creative producers in charge of the show, the creative energy of the show. And uh, that's how I got Digimon. And now in, in Digimon, as you just mentioned, you wore many hats. You were the voice director as well as the story editor as well as the writer. What was that like for you having many different hats with this project? It was very comfortable, actually, because I had already done that kind of stuff at Fox Kids, which eventually became Fox Family. But before that, it was Fox Kids, and then Saban pretty much bought Fox Kids while we were there, making these uh, Chimp Lips Theater uh, shows. And on Chimp Lips Theater, Bob and I did everything. We had to do all the voices on the first episode. They gave us very little budget to do anything else. So we had to direct, we had to write, we had to produce. They gave us one producer, Rita Acosta Magica, who was my producer all throughout my career and on a lot of different things and they gave us a crew and a live action director producer named tony oliver who's a big anime guy and i think it's all right for me to say he's the new voice of lupon the third actually i think it's okay for me to say if not sorry tony so anyway tony produced and directed all the live action stuff with the chimpanzees the concept with two chimps making cartoons which was pretty much what bob and i were anyway two chimps making cartoons so I had to do the voice acting then and there anyway. Bob did a little of it as well. And Bob was a very accomplished voice actor and uh, voice director and actor, which he still is today. I don't think he's acting uh, much anymore, but he's a very accomplished voice director. So we just naturally wore a lot of hats. And when Digimon came around, it was just more of it. But it wasn't more work. It was just more work over the long haul. Like instead of a week's worth of work, we had 52 weeks worth of work. So there was nothing we were intimidated. We actually relished it. Because there were two of us, we can get quite a bit of work done. We could each write and write to sync. So we both had a lot of sync experience as actors. So we knew how to do that very well. And we had the network experience as well, which is why I think we got that job over the others, because there are a lot of voice directors out there, but not a lot of have created their own shows, been executive producers and having a relationship with the network. And in this town, people love to pay you for things you've already done in the past. They don't like to take chances on anyone new. And Digimon, I think, was starting to gain in popularity. They just felt comfortable with us. And the people that hired me used to work for me at Fox Kids. So they felt very comfortable in that sense because it was a lot of their first shows as well. So it was something we really enjoyed. Even to this day, I love juggling a lot of different jobs. I'm a writer, director, producer, voice actor, on-camera actor at times. I like being busy. Not a lot of people can juggle five different things at once. And I relish the fact that I can. I am that type of A personality that is very anal and organized about things like that. So I like it. And now the cast on Digimon was phenomenal. How much influence did you have in generating the cast you wanted? Well, season one, I had... Zero, because I didn't start on the show. They had already, like I said, they had already directed quite a few episodes before I came aboard. They split the directing between Wendy Lee, who was the main director, Michael Sorich, who was a good buddy of mine, 
to this day. I'm friends with all of them, really. Uh, Richard Epcar is a great buddy. He just directed me in Lupin the Third. Um, I played a couple of different uh, minor villains, which are always fun to play. And who else was there? There was a guy named Dave. He was mostly a sound engineer, but every now and then he would direct an episode as well. Sorry, Dave. You know I love you. I can't remember your last name, though. But Wendy was the main director, and she actually called me to audition for the show, knowing that I was still a voice actor back then as well. And it was her and Terry O'Malley who worked for me on Chimp Lips Theater. And uh, they had all the input on the initial casting. So originally I read for, and everyone read in town, everyone I knew read for this because there were so many roles for it. So they needed to fill a bunch of roles. You know, there were eight Digi Dustin and eight Digimon to go with them and blah, 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 you know, and plus all the villains, you know. There were over 300 characters in season one alone. So we needed actors. So I know I auditioned for Matt because Terry O'Malley told me later she really wanted me to play Matt, but of course Michael Reese got the job. So I had no input. I inherited all the actors pretty much. Some I was thrilled to inherit and some I wasn't so thrilled to inherit. Uh, I wouldn't have cast certain ones in my opinion, but hey, it wasn't my decision. I loved almost all the actors. Some of them are still my best friends to this day. Tom Fawn, who the original Agumon, is like a brother to me. And then season two, we had a new contract where we were going to write 100 out of 104 episodes or something crazy, number like that. We had guarantees to write 50 of them. It was a crazy contract, but it was a very good contract for us. So I had a lot of say in season two casting. But Terry O'Malley made the final decisions. Despite being the showrunner, I had many bosses, Terry being one of them. So she had pretty much, she wanted someone, she was going to get someone. She had her own bosses at the network, but Terry made most of the casting decisions. And now when you were a part of Digimon, did you know how big it would become? No, not at all. In fact, I turned it down. Like I said, I just thought, I looked at it and I'm like, I don't get it. Bob did the same. They sent us a videotape and we're like, I don't know. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. They seem so blase about going to this crazy world. I'd be a lot more panicked if I were them. You know, I just got kidnapped through a hole in the earth from my life and I'd be desperate to get back. I just didn't get it. So we turned it down and literally it was because we had no other projects. So let's give it a shot. But after we wrote episode 14, we had so much fun writing that episode that we really fell in love with it right then and there. And then we did 16 after that episode 16 and they loved us too they loved the way we wrote it in fact they wanted to go even funnier the ironic thing is that's what the sub haters hated more than anything the amount of humor but every episode we would get notes make it funnier make it funnier you're funnier than this you're funnier than this that was the line that drove me crazy you're funnier than this how do you know i'm funnier than this maybe this is as funny as i am this is it you didn't want to break up a dramatic moment with a joke either and sometimes they'd say you know break this up it's getting too heavy with a joke all right it's okay to be dramatic too sometimes, you know, but whatever. <laughs> and now, when did you know that you'd be working on Digimon the movie? Well, we already started season two. We just started it. I don't think we actually were recording it or we were just starting to record, but it was very early in the process. And word came down. They wanted to talk to us about writing and directing a movie. We were really thrilled, meaning we, Bob and myself. So we just couldn't believe it. And then they said... We want you to write and direct three movies. And we're like, whoa, this is fantastic. Until we realized they want us to do one movie using three movies. And they're like, oh, not as fantastic as we thought. But okay, let's go for it. And I was just really thrilled. At that time, president of Fox Family Worldwide, Maureen Smith, was a good friend of mine. I had worked with her since my Fox 
kids' days before Saman absorbed them. And I just went into her office and I said, Maureen, I don't know if you had anything to do with them choosing me to you know, write and direct this movie. If you did, I really want to thank you. You know, I'm sure she wasn't able to tell me, so I didn't put her in that position too. And then I did the same to Rita. I walked into Rita's office and then I said the same thing. I came to Los Angeles to write and direct movies. They were offering me a chance to really get my name out there on something that was an established franchise and it was going to be shown on 1800 screens which is a major release so we were just really thrilled then when we started getting into it it wasn't the greatest experience in the world in terms of making it we got into a lot of fight when you're making three movies into one you're going to have a lot of opinions out there what's the best way to do it and there were a lot of arguments about it and eventually they got what they wanted or some people at fox kids got what they wanted i keep calling it fox kids but it was really Saban at Fox Family Worldwide at that time. And really the creative differences we had over that movie directly led to Bob and I leaving before season two even ended. It was just too awkward. The fighting was too much and we just decided, all right, we're not having fun. Let's go. And we left with about four episodes left in season two. But in terms of just the experience of having a movie that size, it, it was unbelievable. You know, I'll never forget it. And I'll always thank the people involved for choosing me. Now, while working on this, you also wrote a movie, Big Brother Trouble, that appeared on Showtime. How did you balance your time between working on Digimon, the movie, as well as this, writing this movie? Well, they actually came out at the same time, but I wrote that quite a bit before that, actually. In fact, I wrote that probably a year or two years before I started Digimon. So it was not overlapping at all. And I just wrote that. In fact, I only wrote the first draft. A friend of mine, Seth Walter, they hired after they bought my story. They bought it and they hired Seth to do some rewrite. They actually wanted to hire me to do the rewrites, but I couldn't at that point because I had already had my Digimon duties. So I had to turn them down for making the changes they wanted. And once they bought it from me, it was theirs to do what they wanted anyway. It was not like I had any choice or any say, good, bad, or otherwise. And you can't really have an ego with stuff like this anyway. It's better to get something on the air or in a movie theater than not have it seen at all. So you make the changes that the people that own the projects want, or you don't work again. You just have to get over it if you want to be a professional. So it didn't interfere whatsoever, and Big Brother Trouble came out. I don't know if it came out in theaters at all, but I did go to a premiere screening of it. And I know eventually the company that owned it was called Hemisphere Entertainment, and they sold it to Showtime. So it wasn't like a Showtime production. It was a Showtime acquisition. And now after your work on Digimon, you appeared as Nicholas D. Wolfwood in Trigon. Yes. Now that was going on at the same time as uh, both the movie and... Season two, we were doing the movie and season two simultaneously. We were working 20 hours a day, every day, both Bob and myself. You know, while I was off at uh, the studio recording Digimon season two, Bob was in our offices, our spice bread offices, working on the movie, writing the movie. And, and I would come join him after my shift. We'd have a little dinner and we would work all night long together. First, we would go over the work Bob did. And then I would, you know, make some adjustments to it and what have you. And then we would write together for a while. And we did that for probably three months. We worked 20 hours a day, every day. I think Sunday mornings we took off and that was it, just to have a little breathing room. Got my head clear. I think I played softball. Bob saw his family for a change. You know, we were just so busy. And while this was going on, with about 11 weeks to go in the schedule, Trigun called 
And Trigun would record in batches. We would record 10 episodes and then I wouldn't hear from them for six weeks. And then they would go off and write and then they would record another, whatever, 10 episodes and then they'd go off to write for six weeks. Things like that. So they called me. A man who's no longer with us was a person on that, Kevin Seymour. And he called me and said, we need 11 more hours from you, Jeff, and then you're done. I didn't know I was dying, but they just said my character arc was over in 11 hours of recording. And I said, Kevin, that's great. I don't have 11 hours to give you, but I will in four weeks or whatever it was. I can't remember the actual how many weeks left in the schedule yet. So I said, once that's done, you can have me for 11 hours. But right now, I really don't have 11 hours to give you. I only have four hours a day for sleep, personally. So he turned it into this huge battle over like you're reneging you're leaving the show i'm like i'm not leaving the show i just don't have the time what if i booked a movie in australia i'd be in australia for three months what would you do then would you accuse me of leaving the show i mean i can't do it i don't have 11 hours to give you he just wouldn't let it alone and we got into a big fight and i just hung up the phone i said goodbye if you want me in five weeks you got me goodbye hung up the phone well they had everyone call me from that company every day they made my life a living hell i got a call every day from somebody and they were just like you can't leave the show i'm like i'm not leaving the show why isn't anyone listening to me i just can't record right now this is what happens with actors we get busy on other projects and other projects get attention that's why they have contracts with first positions things like that you're not in first position you're in last position right now where you get last choice at me. So you're going to have to wait. So eventually, my buddy Joe Romerso, who was one of the directors, called and said, look, Jeff, we just have to work this out because they are losing their minds over this. They just don't understand how this works. They can't wrap their heads around it. And I said, Joe, what do you want from me? You can't get hours I don't have. He said, so you're not leaving the show. I'm like, finally, someone understands. I'm not leaving the show. Well, they still need to deliver. They have a delivery problem that they can't wait five weeks. They need to deliver it right now. So how can we work this out? I said, Joe, if you and I sit in a room for 11 hours, I'll find the time, like Saturday night to Sunday afternoon, I'll do it because like i said we have a little leeway for ourselves on sunday so i said i'll do it you and i in a room he said all right well leah Sargent, who is the director will be there i'm like all right even though leah was one of the people that called me and harassed me constantly i said all right you know we'll do it so ironically i show up saturday night after we write either an episode of digimon or we work on the movie together so i leave bob and i show up at the recording studio and it's just me and joe i'm like where's leah ironically leah had another engagement that night she couldn't do it i'm like oh all that nonsense about you have to do it you have a responsibility and she's not even here so joe directed me for 11 hours straight very few breaks and i think we finished somewhere at like five in the morning and my voice was completely gone so it was a good thing i had a death scene in there I was actually glad he was dying because I didn't want to go through that <laughs> again, that whole experience with the producers. And I never did work for them again, but it's okay. What can I tell you? I had a chance to write and direct a movie and a series at the same exact time. I'm not about to turn that opportunity down, especially for one lone character that has a small story arc on a non-union uh, production. But I loved playing Wolfwood. He was my own voice, as opposed to all the other crazy voices I played on Digimon. You can only do Tentomon for so long in a booth before your voice starts going out. You know, you have only so many 
Oh no! Tentamon Digivolve 2! You only have so many of those in your voice. In about four hours, and you're like, Tentamon Digivolve 2! You know. But Wolf, what I could do all day long, because it's pretty much my voice. And I loved acting with a cigarette in my mouth. First, I put a pencil in my mouth. The pencil was too heavy to talk. Then I started using a piece of chalk, and then I just went out and I bought a pack of cigarettes. What am I knocking my head against the wall for? Let me just get a pack of cigarettes. And I always brought it with me to the recording studio. I loved Wolfwood. He's probably my favorite character of all time to play. He was so deep. He was a hard-drinking, chain-smoking, woman-molesting priest. I mean, you can't get more depth than that. And uh, to this day, he's probably my favorite role ever. And now following your role on Trigun, you voice directed for Naruto. How did that come about? At Fox Kids, there was a casting director, voice director named Jimmy Simone, who directed and cast all of their original animation. And he had an office right next to mine. And on one side of me was Rita Acosta Magicut. On the other side, Jamie Simone. We were a very powerful floor. <laughs> the fourth floor in the Saban building. So we knew each other for a long time. So when Disney bought Fox Kids, Jamie started his own little studio production studio called Studiopolis. And I was doing several projects for him and eventually I started doing a show for him and by doing I mean writing and directing called Zatch Bell where I met Debbie Derryberry who played Zatch Bell. So I was directing Zatch for Jamie. While I was directing Zatch Bell one day I came in and Jamie was holding auditions for this show called Naruto. And I came in to ask him a question about Zatch Bell. And he said, oh, Nemo, it's good. I'm glad you're here. Stay because you're going to be directing this show. I'm like, I am? That's good to know. I had no idea what it was. He was just going to hire me to direct it. I'm like, okay. So I sat in on a couple of the auditions and he explained the show to me. I go, all right, let me know when I'm directing it. I had no idea. So he directed the pilot himself. And then I took over right after that. And... I liked Naruto, but I can't say I loved Naruto because it just wasn't my thing. I liked more comedy, which Naruto wasn't that funny in season one. It had some comic moments, but it wasn't a comedy. And I thought I could do a lot more justice to a comedy than I could to a, a dramatic series, even though I still enjoyed dramatic drama in general. So when Digimon came along, they made a comeback. After six years of nothing, Digimon did a season five. In Japanese, it was called Digimon Sabers. And it later became known in America as Digimon Data Squad. So when that came along, Jamie, having me on his team, the Digimon guy, quote unquote, how Jamie pitched Disney about me, they said, hey, we should get this show. We should make this show for you because we've got the Digimon guy, Jeff Nimoy. <laughs> and even though I left somewhere in season two. So they gave the show to Jamie and sure enough, I was the Digimon guy. So... When that happened, I did that, and I actually told Jamie, two of these movies are seasons I did not do. Mary Elizabeth was the director of those, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. So I said, why don't you bring her in, and she'll do a much better job than I will, because I would have to learn those entire universes, and she already knows them, so let's bring her back. And he did, and I assume she did a great job on them. I did not watch them. I'm sure she didn't watch mine either, so <laughs> that's fine. So that was the start of Digimon. So then Digimon Savers came around, and... They were like, well, we're going to do this show, and we were going to get it. It was mine if I wanted it. And now I had a decision to make. Do I want to continue with Naruto, which I liked but didn't love, or do I want to do Digimon, which I love? And not only that, I wasn't writing much of Naruto. I did a rewrite now and then. I did a recap episode. 
episode, which is like episode 26, where it's like, hey, remember that time in class? And then we would show long clips of that time in class. So I wasn't really writing Naruto. I wasn't really producing Naruto. But on Digimon, I was going to wear all those hats I was famous for for Digimon. I was going to write every episode, which I did on Zatch Bell as well. But also on Zatch Bell, I did not cast either. Jamie cast that show. I was even going to get to cast Digimon Data Squad myself. Of course, I had to get approvals on my choices, but I don't remember them ever saying no to any choice I ever wanted. They, in fact, had different first, second, or third choices, but if I still wanted my first choice, I'd get it every time that I can remember. So Digimon just offered me a lot more in terms of hats to wear and control, and of course, I was associated with that franchise. Now, in retrospect, Digimon Data Squad lasted one season, 50 episodes. I believe Naruto is still going today, and this is 10 years later. So career-wise, it was a horrible decision. But to this day, Digimon Data Squad is probably my most satisfying series ever because of all the control I had. If you want to see my version of Digimon, that's the one to go to. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. It was my favorite time to work. And I had a really good schedule where I would write on the weekends and record during the week. And I'd write at night. And it was a busy year, but I loved every minute of it. That's how I got Naruto and left Naruto. I left Naruto after season one. We cast season two. I had a big part of that. I auditioned everyone for season two, which was also casting them for the video game, the first video game. And I left before we even started recording. I don't remember if I recorded that first video game as a director or not, but I might have. My memory is a little fuzzy, but I know I cast it. And then Mary Elizabeth took over for all that. Mary Elizabeth used to say, thank you for turning down so much work, Jeff. I put on an extra addition to my house for all the work you've turned down. So she took over for me for Digimon, for Naruto. I'm glad she's done so well. And now you mentioned Zatch Bell. Yeah. What was that like working on that project? I polished the hell out of that turn, I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) We have an expression. We have an expression in show business called polishing turds. When something's really bad, you just try to make it as good as possible. Zatch Bell was so crazy, so wacky. I just took Zatch Bell because I was desperate for work. We had so much fun. I was just working with Michelle Ruff yesterday on something. Michelle played Naomi, and we were just talking about our Zatch Bell days. I thought it was very funny, the performances we did and the writing we wound up doing. And again, the longer we got into it, the more leeway we had with fun. At the beginning, we had to stick a little more towards the scripts, but Keo had some great lines, and then the surrounding cast was just great. Colleen O'Shaughnessy as Kankles. That was her nickname. I can't remember the actual character she played, but I remember what we called her was Kankles. Jason playing Keo was just hilarious. And of course, Debbie. Poor Debbie. She had to cry as that so much. I mean, there was so much talking in that show. And of course, Dave Wittenberg won a, an anime award for playing Meru Meru May, as well as Parko Fargare. Something like that. <laughs> Whatever the character is. Hey, I'm Paco Fogare. And he got poster plate. Mary, Mary, Mary. Just great characters. And we had a lot of laughs on that show, even though none of us thought it was a very good show. <laughs> and now you got to take over the character Kachume. Yeah, Richard Horowitz played Kanchume at first. And after season two or season one, I replaced him. What were the circumstances of that you replacing him? Well, we had an incident. We told exactly the same story. I've heard from other friends that, yep, that's exactly what he says. There's no dispute on what happened. Only he thinks he was right. I think I was right. Other than that, the facts of the case are the facts of the case. But when you argue with the writer, producer, director, you're going to lose the argument ultimately, which you did. And Jamie Simone came in to me and goes, "Uh, what do you want to do about this? I go, fire him. I'll replace him. And he goes, can 
can you do Richard Harwood? I said I could do this character. And I did it. Oh, can you forget Wow, sounds just like him. You're hired. I'm like, thank you. Moving on. And we just moved on from that point on. And I played him from that part forward. Not a big deal to us. Things like that happen all the time. When I left Digimon, Bob Klein replaced me. Robert L. Klein replaced me. In fact, I think they redid Digimon in another version recently. And Bob Klein played Tentomon. But that's okay because I replaced Joshua Seth on Digimon. He was the first uh, Tentomon. He was the first one. And they felt Joshua had too many roles and they were all starting to sound like Ty. So they wanted to give away a few of them. So I can't remember what episode I took it away from him, but I started playing Tentomon. I started out by doing an impersonation of him. And sooner or later, it became me, though. That's what an actor does. They try their best to voice match, but it just naturally happens. The more you get into it, the more dialogue you have. You start to make the role your own. And when you start the voice match, what are the challenges of voice matching? Well, you either can or you can't. It's like if you have the gift of impersonation or you don't. Not everyone can. Some people are stuck in their own voice. Hopefully it's a very good voice for them that they work a lot. There are a lot of people out there that don't do multiple voices. They just have this one great voice they do. And they do it well and they just keep working. But I'm lucky enough that I just have that ability. So Joshua was doing sort of a, a thing like Jackie Gleason used to do, that Johnny Carson used to impersonate all the time on his show. You know, and Tentamon Digivolve 2. And then eventually it became my own voice and my own character. And especially when I started writing it, I gave him his little new nuances of personality of course he would do anything for his izzy including making his bubble bath ready and now after zadge bell you got the opportunity to work as a voice director on bleach yeah i wrote a lot of bleach as well i used to write the filler episodes if you know what those are in manga they have these fillers they don't really have to do with the overall story they're just a little storyline thrown in on their own little story so i used to write those and direct those as well i was offered bleach first as well and i turned that down i was working too much and i didn't want to work that much another show would have just been way too much for me so i turned it down and i think michael sorge started it and then steve kramer settled in and i don't know why they replaced steve kramer but it was for a summer and they asked me to fill in and bleach was never supposed to be a continuous run i don't think i don't remember to tell you the truth i don't remember if just the writing or the writing and directing was just for six weeks but that's the way it worked out so i did that i wrote more bleaches though i wrote a lot more bleaches than the fillers after a certain point i wrote quite a few bleaches but i think i only directed for like six weeks it was a good six weeks and i like that show it was a good show that was a dramatic show that i enjoyed again i don't want to put down naruto i like naruto very much i just like digimon more that's all i can say so and then i also did a couple other shows for jamie called blue dragon which made zatch bell look like gone with the wind and <laughs> there were some other some other shows in there that we worked on here and there i did a lot of pilots for jamie when he was trying to get a pilot going i would do a lot of those shows you'd never hear from again a show called monkey turn and i can't even remember half the shows but yeah, and then I actually left all of anime around 2009 to pursue some live action stuff, which I was doing right up until about last year when my live action stuff ended. I decided to go back to voice acting because that was really my first love was acting. And I enjoyed voice acting quite a bit ever since my Mutant League days. And so right now that's actually where I'm concentrating my career. I'm trying to make it back into voice acting. And Richard Epcar was wonderful enough to cast me in uh, Lupin the Third just recently. And Bob Buckles gave me a dream come true. I got to play just a pilot for France, Warner Brothers. They were doing a, a new Sylvester cartoon. I'm sure if they decide to make that cartoon, the guy who usually plays Sylvester will get that role for them. But I got to play Sylvester the Cat, which was originally voiced by Mel Blanc, who, like I told you earlier, I worshipped as a little kid. So that was a dream come true to get to play Sylvester. Suffering suckatash! 
So that was nice. And my comeback only started in September, but I hope to work a lot, a lot, a lot more. really love to be on a cartoon again. That's my ultimate goal. I'd love to be in some kind of animated series as a regular. That would be just wonderful to do that again. But in the meantime, I'm auditioning for commercials and things like that that all voice actors do. And now outside of anime, you wrote a book in 2012, The Cooking Caveman, How to Lose Weight. <laughs> Eat healthy, create yeah. mouthwatering, halo recipes, and piss off all your friends. What was the inspiration <laughs> for this? In 2010, I was writing an animated movie. This animated movie did not get made, uh, but I was writing it nonetheless at the time. And there were these little creatures, and they weren't quite cavemen, but they were like cavemen. They weren't human, but they lived like cavemen. And I was trying to find a diet, things they eat, that matched their characters. So I thought maybe if I Googled what did cavemen eat, I would be able to adapt it for my little creatures. And that's exactly what I did. I Googled the simple phrase, what did cavemen eat? And this whole world of the paleo diet and the caveman diet came up. I was fascinated by it. It's all about we are, as humans, are programmed to eat genetically, what our bodies are built to eat, what nature intended for us to eat, and just seemed fascinating to me. And they were saying, if you eat this way, you'll never get sick. And I couldn't believe it. So I said, I'm going to try this diet for a month and see what happens. And it was incredible. I lost 25 pounds without trying. It was a lot of work because you have to do all your own cooking, all your own shopping. It's all organic. You can't cook with any grains whatsoever, no salt, no sugar. Everything has to be real food, nothing processed. And it was very challenging. But like I told you earlier, I'm an ape type personality, so it's right up my alley and i became like a paleo guru and i eventually started a blog called the cooking caveman and i have about fifty-six thousand readers on the internet and eventually a publisher approached me an online publisher approached me about this book they wanted me to take the best of the blog and then write new wraparound segments new intros new extras to those segments and a new beginning and a new end and, and including the best of that's what that book it's only an ebook by the way it's not available in hard copy and you also have a YouTube channel that goes with this. What is that YouTube channel called? Yes, uh, just Cooking Caveman. If you go to YouTube and look up Cooking Caveman, you'll find it. It's the Cooking Caveman channel. My readers started asking for some videos, so I just made a few here and there, a couple of recipes. I show them how to make ketchup. You go to the store and buy some ketchup, and you look at those ingredients. You'll see a lot of chemicals in there, a lot of things you don't need. And I make a very tasty little caveman ketchup, and you make your own mayonnaise. And bread is a big one because you can't use any grains, no wheat on the caveman diet. So I make a, a bread using almond flour. Now I use almond flour. Then in the video, I was using almond butter. It's a very simple recipe. It's also a very good recipe. I think my recipe now is a little better. You can find it on cookingcaveman.com. All the recipes are free. The blog is free. The videos are free. So if you're looking to start the paleo diet, there's plenty of entertainment for you there. All free. So go check it out. And now you also started a webisode, Adventures in Anime, with fellow voice actor Quentin Flynn. What does this show explore, and where can it be found? Well, it's somewhere on YouTube. I actually took down the channel itself. The channel doesn't exist anymore, but we had our own website. We had our own store. We had a lot of things going on, but eventually took them all down. It was a limited thing. Steve Bloom actually invited me to go to Chicago with him to speak at an anime convention. They invited him and they asked him if he had a favorite director he could bring with him and talk about the actor-director relationship. At the last minute, Steve canceled. So then the convention said to me, do you have a favorite actor? And Quentin Flynn and I had known each other for years and years and years. We used to do improv comedy together in that same place, the LA Connection, where I met Bob and such. And we just knew each other for years, and I had just cast him as the lead in Digimon Data Squad. So I said, hey, perfect, you know. And we went together, and we 
used our improv skills together very nicely. And we saw someone videotaped a moment from our panel where we sang a song from the Turtles called Happy Together. And it looked like it was completely planned and everything, but it was 100% improv, came out of nowhere, spontaneous, I promise you. And we did that and we thought there might be a show in this, you know, just a, a TV show. We had never been to a convention before. So we just decided to do a world tour and bring cameras with us. We would go talk together at panels and do our shit and then maybe write some like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, This is Spinal Tap. It's a favorite of mine and Quentin's. And so we wanted to make like a mockumentary around the Comic-Con circuit, things like that. So all the panel stuff was live and spontaneous, not planned. And then we would do little improvised sketches, but premises, sort of like Curb Your Enthusiasm, where the actual premise of the bit is worked out beforehand, but all the dialogue is improvised. So... We did that, and we came up with a storyline. I came up with my storyline, and I brought my camera crew with me, and then Quentin did his, and then I edited it together so it would wind up together at the end. His storyline meets my storyline at the end of every season. That's what it was going to be. And we did season one. The sound was horrible. Season one was always intended to be an experiment to prove the concept to see if the concept would work. I thought by episode 9 or 10 when it ended. So we did a pretty good job of bringing it all together, and I think it's pretty entertaining. So again, it was a sort of half documentary, half mockumentary. We enjoyed it. I think the road got to Quentin a little bit. I don't think he enjoyed being on the road as much as I did, which is eventually why we didn't do another season, although we did film another season or two. We filmed Detroit. The one that is existing was Dallas, and it was all took place at the Dallas Anime Fest. And then we actually filmed in Detroit, and we filmed in Australia, but I never actually finished those because after Australia, you could see Quentin was just done. He needed a break. It was too bad because Johnny Young Bosch guest starred in season two, who I did Trigun with. He played Bash with Stampede. Stephanie Shea had a big role in season two, Detroit. She's a good friend, and I've directed her a million times and different things. But ultimately, the sound quality just wasn't there. We would have had to ADR the whole thing or have subtitles for the whole thing. I see Quentin wasn't enjoying it as much, so I never did film another version. So it's out there somewhere. I might even have it on my YouTube channel on Jeff Nimoy. It might be under like a playlist of mine or something, so check it out. It's sad, though, watching it now because my friend Cassandra Hodges was the guest star in season one, and she's no longer with us, and she was a very dear friend of mine, and uh, unfortunately, she's no longer with us. So it's bittersweet when I look at it because I just remember her so much, and she was great in it. But, you know, she's gone, taken from us way too young. And now you've been involved in TV and voice acting and you were involved in regular acting and now you're making your return to voice acting what mm -hmm. advice do you have for people who want to get into the industry well it's all about networking you can be the most talented person in the world but if you don't know anyone you're done there's no way and you just have to be that kind of person that goes to all the parties goes to all the events gets to know people hands out your card you have to be a networking maniac and you can't be shy about it you can't be an asshole about it either you can't be an asshole about it you can't be too pushy, but you have to be just the right amount of pushy. And you just have to be a marketing genius. You have to really market yourself. You have to realize you're not a person. You're a product and you're a brand. And you have to keep true to that brand all the time. So when I'm branding my voice now, I'm branding my voice as this smoky sort of voice, which is why I got Wolfwood because he smoked all the time. And the producer said, I auditioned for Vash. And he's like, you sound like you smoke. Do you smoke cigarettes? I'm like, no, I just sound this way. And he said, well, because we have a character that smokes. You're perfect for him. So you're going to play Wolfwood. So I never auditioned for Wolfwood. And to my knowledge, no one else ever did either. 
They just gave me the role after auditioning for Vash. But anyway, so that's my brand. And you have to stay true to that brand. And you have to market yourself as that. And it just takes a certain amount of person. And unfortunately, talent has almost nothing to do with it. You have to deliver the goods once they hire you. So you have to be good. And I also advise people to learn how to be an actor as well because a voice alone is not going to do it. You have to have something behind that voice, just like you have to have something behind your look. If you're a good-looking person from on-camera stuff, you have to be a good actor. So take acting classes. Mic technique, you can kind of learn on the job, but again, unless you know somebody, you're not going to get a job. Just get your name out there and network, network, network. That's my best advice. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, website, Tumblr? Well, Cooking Caveman is actually on Tumblr, but if you go to cookingcaveman.com, it will just automatically send you to my Tumblr site. But while I was on the caveman diet, I realized, how am I going to date? I'm going to have to like find a girl who eats this way. So at first I thought, maybe I'll start a paleo dating site. And then I realized, wow, everyone on a diet must experience this. Anyone who's on any kind of restrictive diet, Weight Watchers or if they have a peanut allergy or if they're diabetic or celiac, they all must have this problem. So I started a dating site for people on diets of any kind called sameplate.com and it matches you by the food you eat and it's also 100% free so there's no hook all we're asking is you join and spread the word it's 100% free and even if you're a picky eater you're looking for another picky eater even if you're just a pizza lover or if you're a foodie love sushi I love hamburgers I love the best hole in the walls I love the best fine dining whatever it is you eat you can find a match on sameplate.com so it's s-a-m-e-p-l-a-t-e dot com same plate dot com and again it's absolutely free the only thing we're lacking are members so the more members the more successful we will be so please if you're single and you eat food go to same plate dot com and tell all your other single food eating friends about same plate dot com help us out anything else that you got to promote a mentor a long time ago once told me a writer is never unemployed he might not get paid but he's always got work to do and it's true i've got a backlog of screenplays that i'd like to write that i just don't have the time to write so yeah i like to keep busy i'm an a type of personality and i like to work i just want to say before we go everybody that thank you for listening to this week's podcast and as always you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes stitcher radio soundcloud and a bunch of other places where you listen to your podcasts and while you wait for next week's episode, you can check out my website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to anime, comics, wrestling, and pop culture, as well as you can follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics for all updates regarding this podcast, as well as the website. And I hope to see you as a subscriber following me on this podcast, checking me out on Twitter, reading my website. Until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.